Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 459. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I am excited to have Michelle Williams on, and uh, we timed this episode around the end of the year because so many of you have had yet another challenging year. And so Michelle Williams is very transparent on her work with Destiny's Child, uh, her rise to fame with Beyonce and Kelly Rowland, and why success can't fulfill unmet needs. It's a pretty powerful conversation. So glad you tuned in for it. And today's episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire and Red Letter Challenge. So, are you having trouble with the great resignation? A lot of churches are, and one, and a lot of businesses are. And frankly, one of the harder roles to fill right now is someone in the social media online department. It's just tough. So, labor shortages and high turnover is a real challenge right now. But ProMedia Fire can help you with the following needs. They can help with website design and maintenance, social media management, graphic design, video editing, brand strategy, digital strategy, and content creation. All of these areas and more can be handled by the ProMedia Fire team and for a fraction of the cost of a staff hire. With ProMedia Fire, you save on employee taxes and health insurance with internal staff. Turnover becomes a thing of the past with a team that handles all of your graphic design and so much more. So avoid the labor shortage while growing online. You can book your free digital strategy session today at promediafire.com slash carry. That's right. It's a free session. And if you want to book it, go to promediafire.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And if you are a pastor, I want to take a minute and paint a picture that you may be feeling right now. It's pretty much the end of November. And let's be honest. This has been another long year, a year in which your staff is still working hard to pull off an epic Christmas Eve celebration. But you know what happens when Christmas is done, right? You get Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you got a brand new year to do this all over again. With all the leadership capacity that's gone into 2021 and the mental space of Christmas Eve, it can be exhausting to think about your New Year's series. So wouldn't it be awesome to keep the momentum rolling right now into the new year with a powerful turnkey series where everything is already done for you. That's what you get with Red Letter Challenge. You'll not only have access to pre-written sermon manuscripts and small group guides and videos, kids curriculum for your church and school, but you'll also have pre-made graphics. And the best practice is to make this a truly plug and play experience for your key leaders. And of course, you can customize as well, but it's done for you. The team at Red Letter Challenge is ready to come alongside your church. They've helped hundreds of other churches from around the world, making sure you have everything you need to start the year off right with a life-changing, Jesus-centered experience with proven results. So sign up for your 40-day challenge today. You will get between 10 and 40% off done-for-you resources to help you grow your church. Just go to redletterchallenge.com slash carry. That's redletterchallenge.com slash C-A-R-E-Y. And pastors, be sure to check out the link. It is just for you. 
So I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Michelle Williams. She is a Grammy award-winning recording artist who rose to stardom as a member of the R&B megagroup Destiny's Child, which is considered one of the best female music groups of all time. Her four successful solo albums include Heart to Yours, Do You Know, Unexpected, which spawned the internationally charted single We Break the Dawn, and Journey to Freedom, which featured groupmates Beyonce and Kelly Rollins on the single Say Yes. Also a talented actress, she debuted on Broadway to a number of different shows. And these days, Michelle is spending a lot of her time passionately raising awareness about mental health. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I hope this comes as grace to you. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Uh, For those of you who are joining us, maybe for the first time, you want to do that. And in the meantime, my conversation with Grammy award-winning artist, Michelle Williams. Well, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. It's so good to finally get on. Um, I've seen some of your past guests, and I'm like, wow. I'm well, on here we, too. we have a good time here. That's Yeah, so cool. yeah. Well, now we have Michelle Williams, so there you go. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, your story, Michelle, is uh, obviously you're an actor and an artist and a performer in your own right, but it kind of, did it start with Destiny's Child? Is that how you kind of, was that your first big break? No. Um, prior to Destiny's Child, I was um, singing background for an R&B phenomenon. Um, her name is Monica. Um, she, okay. She was, at the age of 15, this superstar in the world of R&B. But prior to Monica, I was a praise and worship leader um, in the choir <laughs> at church. I was in two gospel groups not thinking that I would take, I would do music professionally because no one in my family does music professionally. There are a few organists in my family, but just play at the church, you know, to let their gift be, to be used. Um, But as far as anything else professionally, no, I'm like the first person that took a chance to kind of not finish college because Everyone in my college is degreed and doing well. And I was like, well, I'll go to college too. There's doctors in my family. My mom's a registered nurse. So I was like, well, it looks like it's working out for everybody. So I just never thought of pursuing music professionally because it was not encouraged. Nor were you steered in the direction of music because my mother felt music. What does she call it? Because my brother is a phenomenal musician and producer and she referred to doing music as a pipe dream. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I guess we should yeah. Google it. Uh, yeah, you know what? I if if I'm right, it means don't don't bet the future on it, Michelle. It's not going to work out for you. I, <laughs> I think, always I think that's hear what her say pipe dream, pipe dream. And so here I am. I told my brother, you know. I prayed about it. I prayed about when I was, when I got the phone call to meet with the ladies of Destiny's Child, Beyonce and Kelly Rowland. And I, I prayed about it. I felt peace about going. And that's what happened. (laughs) How old were you when you had that conversation with Beyonce and Kelly Rowland? Let's see. Was I maybe 20? Yeah. Pretty young, right? Yeah. I think I was about really to go. Mm-hmm. So how did they find you? How did that happen? How did Destiny's Child come to be? 
Um, well, Destiny's Child was an already established group. They had original members and they were on their way. And unfortunately, um, there were some things that happened within the group. And two out of the four original founding members left the group. Okay. And and um, I was singing background for Monica at the time, but Destiny's Child's choreographer happened to be a dancer with Monica as well. So when Destiny's Child oh. was kind of scouting for for members, um, she told them about me. And I tell this story about how when you just keep your head down and you do your job, someone will call your name. Like, don't try to get out here prematurely. Be nice to people. Show up to work on time. Even if you are in the, even if you aren't like the best, mm -hmm. people will remember how you treat them. Like, do you come, do you come to work knowing your melodies? Do you come mm -hmm. to work knowing your part? Are you on time? First and foremost. So I tell young people that all the time. You know, I believe one of the reasons why my name was mentioned in a pool of it could have been mentioned in a pool of other more talented people. Um, I I I have to say I think work ethic, how you treat people. Now I haven't been perfect, but I just tell young people all the time, I I pick somebody less talented, but somebody that's pliable over somebody that's so gifted but arrogant and thinks they know everything. Hmm. Hmm. So you're 20 years old. You're sitting down with Beyonce. Now, had Destiny's Child had any success at this yeah, time? They or had, were they still um, trying to make it? No, at the time, um, yeah, No, No, No was out. Bills, 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 Bugaboo, and Say My Name was just getting fresh on the radio. Hmm. And um, that was the song that kind of crossed Destiny's Child over into, into the more pop arena was um right. say my name and so destiny's child was already established and rocking when mm. i got in the group what was that like for you like to be so this is a band you've heard of it's yeah. not like you know group number 875 of musicians right. trying to make it they've already right. got airplay beyonce's getting known yeah. You're sitting down having a conversation and you had, you know, your mom's telling you it's a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. What did that feel like, Michelle? Sometimes you just got to be like, you know what? You got to show people better than you tell them. She doesn't say <laughs> that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet she doesn't say that you anymore. You know what I mean? But now, what, what, what was that like for you? Like sitting down, being, you know, being courted? Because I think you're dealing with a lot of public leaders here. And I'm sure in their mind, they've thought about, oh, what yeah, happens if well, so-and-so taps me on the shoulder? Like, I was like, y'all want me? There's yeah. so many other better dancers. There's so many other better singers. I'm from Rockford, right. Illinois. Like, it's not even Chicago. It's Rockford. You know, mm. and not that anything is bad with Rockford. I'm just saying that mm -hmm. I have friends there. They're good people. You there are people you might go to Chicago first before you scout talent in a smaller city. So I'm just like not even thinking anything's gonna come of it. We had a meeting. Um, we sat around and kind of harmonized with each other to see how I kind of gel 
um, with the girls musically. And um, I remember still kind of battling college. Do I go to college or do I join this group? And so I was at a crossroad when I got the phone call that, hey, we need you in L.A. to film the video for Say My Name. And I was like, well, I'm supposed to be shadowing the county coroner because <laughs> my major was criminal justice in college. Oh, so wanted, you're in college at this point. I, w- I actually was not in college. I was going to go back like the following semester. But my uncle, who is a physician, still knew of my interest. And he arranged for me to shadow the county coroner to see if forensics and all that stuff was what I wanted to go into. Because he was like, you know, you got to see dead bodies and you got to do this and that. So I was like, okay. He hooked me up to shadow the county coroner. But I couldn't shadow the county coroner because I think the day of or something, timing wise, I had to get on a plane to L.A. to film Say My Name. So I'm at a crossroads like, what do I film, say my name video or do I go shadow the county coroner? So I chose to go to L.A. (laughs) That that is a very rare career choice and makes a great headline. County (laughs) coroner or Beyonce? Like, take your pick. Like, which one are you going to do? I think I think you probably chose well. No offense to the county Thank you. But by the way, there is Beyonce and Kelly Rowland. and myself, Makeup Destiny's Child, Kelly Rowland, is a founding member. So I don't want us to continue just name dropping Beyonce's name without. Um, That's very fair. Without respecting the amazing yeah. Kelly Rowland. How many years were you on the road with Kelly and Beyonce? About six years. Yeah, so about six years. So there you are. What was that like? You're catapulted out of church choir a dancer for Monica, thinking about going back into college, not sure whether this is going to work or not. All of a sudden you're on the road. You guys break through, become huge, right? Huge. And everybody kind of does know Destiny's Child, including me. And that's not my genre of music, right? right? Like I knew exactly who Destiny's Child was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What was your experience of road and, you know, fame, growing fame, as Destiny's Child took off? My experience was because it was already an established group, I just kind of walked in the door like, okay, well, what do I need to do? What's my part? What's my role? Um, Kind of file in, go to rehearsals, get on a plane here, sit in, the makeup and, sit in the makeup and hair chair, go to this fitting for this award show. It was, it was a whirlwind. It was almost a blur. Hmm. You know, and so it was like there were moments where I had to intentionally slow down and take everything in because, you know, things were a massive blur because of how fast things were moving. And um, I don't know if any, it's like you dream of success, but like the type of success that maybe you only dreamed of that you actually attain is a different story. Like how's it different? I dreamed of a six figure job. Right. 
not think. And if I was going to be Googleable, it was because I was going to be this amazing forensic psychologist or this amazing prosecuting attorney. And you'd know me by court cases. Mm. Other than that, could you, um, I wouldn't have dreamed of if I still was in that field, the highest you could go is maybe them calling you for for some high-profile case to do a forensic analysis. Like, I don't know how high, I don't know that field, the highest you can go, or you're some type of amazing professor at a prestigious university. I I, I don't know. I I just like, I'm going to kill it in forensics or a prosecuting attorney. That's all I know. But versus... Mm -hmm. Like, I'm even here on vacation and they're asking me, well, the people that stay here are past royalty, princes and kings and this and that. And we'd love for you to plant a tree. They all plant trees. And I'm like, y'all want me? Me? (laughs) You know, and it's just things that you, I don't even think of or dream of. You know, Sting, by the way, was my imaginary husband. Okay. So you're married to Sting. And he's presenting us with a Billboard Award. I'm like, things that you don't, I don't know. I I was going to use success as an escape, you know. Mm. And I just, I still sometimes am in awe of what has taken place in my life, you know. What what was it an escape from in your mind? What were you escaping from? Well, it was it was things like, well, I'll be able to provide for myself. I won't I won't cuz my mother was kind of like the breadwinner and I was like I won't have to ever worry about being in need of anything but scared to ask because mom's already doing so much escape from a anxiety ridden home you know it was uh i'm like if i just leave home and be successful i'll be okay and sometimes you never dreamed of this no and that's the thing a lot of people have used pain in their childhood to propel them into like greatness some some kids today in 2021 are saying the minute I get out this house, I'm gone. I'm never that. Mm. It's like a motivator to make something of yourself. I, I know a lot of leaders who have that story. Like wow. 16, 17, 18, sometimes as young as 15. It's like, yep, I'm out of here. That's not my story. I kept going back, not living at home, but like for mm. the summers and that kind of thing. But I, I, I'm beginning to really understand that. How did, because you have a lot of leaders listening who certainly are not part of Destiny's Child. You know, they haven't got 40,000 people in front of them. Yeah, but guess what? You might have have 40,000 people under your leadership, you know, in your church fellowship or in your financial institution worldwide. So don't think because it's not not 40,000 people maybe, you know, screaming your name on one given night, but a lot of leaders have a lot of people that they're responsible for or seemingly responsible for. 
No, you're 100% right. And that's one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on is because there is a public life. There's a public life when you're in the C-suite, when you're a lead pastor, when you have some kind of public profile. And even if it's 40 or 400, um, you know, people look to you. Uh, what was what was being part of Destiny's Child? What was the impact initially on your mental health? Because that's what we really want to drill down on today. Initially on my mental health, it was okay because I had been dealing with depression since the seventh grade. And remember, like I said, I was using it was a it was an escape initially. Yeah. So I wasn't so thinking. It felt good. Yeah, it felt good. I was like, oh my gosh, just oh. I could pay my student loans off in in writing one check. I said, please, U.S. government, please take this check. I was excited about stuff like that. Like, this is what it feels like just to pay your bills on time. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from yeah. the Midwest. I'm able to pay Sally May or whoever it was. Um, So I was, once again, because it was an escape, it... I was okay until um, maybe the, our second major world tour or something. And I was explaining to someone in management when I finally was getting some language because in the seventh grade, I was dealing with depression. I just didn't have language for it. I just thought it was mm. growing pains. I just thought maybe I'm hormonal. And then, then I right. was thinking things like, is this what being a teenager is? I want to go back in the womb if this is what <laughs> being a teenager is. So fast forward to, you know, in my 20s with Des in Destiny Child, I remember saying, hey, I think I'm depressed. And a man said to me um, in management, just said, hey, no, I you guys are doing so good. Y'all have a record deal. Y'all have Barbie dolls. You know, y'all are about to go on tour. And so once he said that to me, I was like, oh, maybe. I we do have those things. Maybe I'm just fatigued and homesick. So I just kept it moving. Mm. Never discussed it again. Never processed it again, I don't even think. What did depression feel like for you in the seventh grade, Michelle? Just wanting to be alone in my room, fatigued. I was sleeping. Oh my gosh, all the time. Um, isolation. Somehow my grades were dropping. I think it was because of the anxiety um, portion of it. Um, so I was I was diagnosed in my 30s with depression, anxiety, and some PTSD, which apparently is like a combination of anxiety and depression. Um, so I I was experiencing that in the seventh grade. How did it feel? By the time of that second tour, when you talked to your manager, what was different? Or was it exactly the same? You were tired. You wanted to be alone. Yeah. You're yeah. Because I'm like, you know, you're traveling to all these beautiful countries and you want to stay in your room. Y'all have security. You can, if you want to go to the Eiffel Tower, you go. They'll shut right. it down for you, maybe. I, I, you, I don't know. It, wow. It's, it's, they won't, not the whole thing, but maybe for a few minutes or you can get to the front of the line. You, so it's not that I, w I wasn't worried like, well, people are going to bother us. No, they'll make it okay for us to go. But it's like, I didn't want to go. And it's still like that to this day. You almost have to really, and it's not me. because of depression It's because I think it shaped me 
into just being chill and relaxed. Like, I don't want to go, I'll go hang gliding though, or zip lining. <laughs> but I don't want to go do anything else. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that so, babysit everybody's kids while they go paddle boarding or something. Oh, that makes you a great friend. See? I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody yeah. wants to be your friend if that's now, the case. Now, amusement parks, Michelle, though, yeah. I'll ride every roller coaster. Amusement parks. <laughs> okay. You, you sound like you love thrills. I think You mentioned hang gliding. All oh right, my roller gosh, coasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll do stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're touching on something that I think is really interesting. And I've been there in a season myself. I don't have chronic depression, but I went through a period of burnout in 2006 that you just, when you've been there, you never forget it, right? There is a disconnect often between our public life and how we feel privately. So like you're right, you go to the Eiffel Tower and potentially they'll shut it down so you can go see it, right? So life, theoretically, air quotes, couldn't, well, it couldn't be better. I mean... You know, like on the outside, you're successful. You got money in the bank. You got fame. You got recognition. You got people who want to be with you. It is the dream yeah. that just doesn't come true. And a lot of leaders have that, right? So you look at the PNL, or you look at you look at the uh, the attendance graphs, and like things are off the charts and things are great. But on the inside, mm. it's not great. Do you want to talk about that split between the outward success and what you were mm -hmm. feeling inside? Like what? Any thoughts on how you process that now looking back on it? Because it's oh, so yeah. weird. If you haven't experienced it, right? It's just weird. Yeah. Talk, talk, to, talk about that. Had I had the tools that I have now, you know, like, hey, this is what it is. And you're, I didn't get di a diagnosis till, in, till I was in my 30s. And uh -huh. I, was, I was going to therapy, but I was only going to therapy when something triggered me or was wrong versus now... Yeah. I go to process transition, process a thought or an emotion. But I think for me, I wish I had understood what unmet emotional needs were. Knowing that children okay. have needs Talk that need to that. be met. I wish I would have known about emotional needs that a child must have. And if those that child does not get needs met, certain symptoms show up in adulthood. So if you're wondering why at 35 you're responding like a child, hmm. go back to uh, that certain point in your childhood. Well, if I'm 35 but I'm responding like a 12-year-old, well, what, what happened between the ages of 7 and 12 hmm. that you didn't move past emotionally? By the way, this book, have you heard of this book? It's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Oh, Pete Scazzaro. Yeah, I know Pete well. Isn't that an incredible book? I'm like, whoa. Yeah. How yeah. we can be so even biblically astute and mature or mm -hmm. just take out the church part. We can be so amazing in our craft, in our careers, athleticism, but emotionally immature. We mm. don't know how to respond. Can you, without without going into stories you don't want to tell, can you give us an example of like an unmet emotional need from your childhood that surfaced in your adult years as, as you feel comfortable, Michelle? Um, so some of the needs like affection, 
Mm. A lot of kids can probably say they didn't grow up in an overly affectionate home, whether you're black or white. Certain parents Mm -hmm. out of a certain generation just wasn't affectionate. But what happens is without affection, you grow up feeling like you don't need it until you get in a relationship with someone and you're like, no, I need to know that you like me. Put your hand on my knee. Put your hand around my shoulders when we're going to the cafe or something, right? So it wasn't until relationships with men that I was like, oh, this was a need of mine. Affirmation. I thought I could do it all by myself. But even at the age of 41, I find myself desiring do my did my parents see me? Are they proud of me? You eat if your parents are still alive, you probably want that I'm proud of you from them. Mm-hmm. And if they're not alive and you're in a relationship with your spouse, you want you want the affirmation from them. But what I'm learning mm. is you can't even put that that expectation or demand on other humans anymore. So how do I get those needs met? And it's allowing God to just me. Now, prayerfully, you are in a relationship where stuff is reciprocated. Okay. I'm not saying that your spouse should not affirm you. I think that's one of my love languages. (laughs) Affirm Mm. me. Because I think people think when you're successful, you don't need the affirmation. No, I need the affirmation to keep going. Respect mm. is an emotional need. People think that you're a child. You live in my house. I don't have to respect you. So you say things to your children that um, are borderline traumatic. You know? Yeah. Security is a need. When you're fighting all mm. the time, that child is living in a state of anxiety because they don't know, is this the fight that's going to send somebody to the hospital or to the morgue? Hmm. Okay, really yes, I have point. a roof over my head. I have physical security. The rain's not going to come in. and But emotional security, no. Because sometimes hmm. I think we come from an era of you got clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, and a roof over your head. What more do you need? Hmm. Oh, you need support. Yeah. Now, so as I go to therapy, I have grace for Every parent, not just my own, grace and compassion because I just heard someone tell me yesterday, man, there's no manual. I hope we're doing the, you know, there's no manual for parenthood. But now that I know what I know now, like they're like a child needs like 10 hugs a day. Um, Wow. I don't know how. Can you imagine? You know, when your child gets a certain age, they don't want you hugging them. But it's something about them feeling loved and feeling like they can do anything when you love that child and really are trying to fill um, those emotional needs so that when they get older, they're not picking careers or even relationships that fill those needs. So uh, Pete and I have had the guy who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He and Mm -hmm. I've had several conversations. I've read his books. I'm, I'm, I'm such a, such a fan of what Pete is doing. But one of the things that happens to those of us in public leadership is, you know, we'll often look to the success of our organization. Uh, you know, it's growing. There's money in the bank. You know, in your case, there's fans. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure 
you got letters and emails and eventually social media messages every single day mm-hmm. just telling you that you were the greatest thing and could I please meet you. In what way did that kind of recognition, again, winning Grammys, you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, go down the list, fill that hole? And in which ways did it not? Maybe temporarily for a few minutes and then you're like, okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we didn't sit out long enough to appreciate. I don't think I was even home when my Grammy was delivered. Really? No. Wow. So you're just so like, just okay, what's next? in the mail when you get back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, this is amazing. You unbox it and you either put it on your shelf or put it in storage somewhere. <laughs> you know? Because you're constantly, when you're constantly traveling, you're like, what's next? What's next? We got to rehearse for this. We don't have time to celebrate because we got to be at the ESPYs. We got to be in London. We, we, it, you don't have time. You don't have time. So I would tell anybody in any career path that you have, celebrate the wins, process, losses as well. So uh, Janet Jackson told us, We were in Holland, and she said, really savor these moments. Hmm. And it was after that. Tell me more about that. What what was the context for that with Janet? I think it was an award. It's it's probably comparable to like the MTV Awards, but I think in Holland it's called the TMF Awards. Okay. And um, we got a chance to be um, in Janet Jackson's dressing room, and she was just schooling us and she was just in her soft voice make sure you enjoy make sure you take it all in make sure you have time to really because she was telling us it goes by so fast and she was so right that's why I told you it was like a blur it's like a whirlwind it's like a tornado comes in and does all that damage in what three seconds it's quick it's fast Did you think at the height it would last forever? Like, did you think, oh, this is going to be like my whole life? Because we're going to get up to talking about hitting the wall and sort of mm-hmm. life as it is now. But like when you're in that moment, a lot of leaders struggle with separating their identity from their role or their performance, right? You're only as good as your last record. You're only good uh-huh. as your last single. You're only as good as whatever. Did, did you think that was going to last forever? Like, was it hard to disentangle yourself from I Destiny's think Child? groups like like Spice Girls and Destiny's Child, if we wanted to, we could still be cracking right now. Okay. Because you Let's remember, talk about that. your fans grow with you. Like, to this day, to this day, people are still asking, when are y'all touring again? When are you doing an album? It's been 15 years since our last commercial album, and people are still asking. If we went out on the road right now, it could be as massive as it was in the early 2000s. That, that is a blessing. That's almost unheard of. It is. I mean, the Rolling Stones are still selling out Rolling concerts, Stones. right? And those guys are in their 70s. Come on. Yeah. If yep. NSYNC came back together, it would be pandemonium. <laughs> yeah. 
So I have to ask on behalf of your fans, what is the answer to that question? Are you guys going to get back together? Like I said, if we wanted to. But I don't think there's a want to. You know? Yeah. You know, we are... Fair enough. We are um, excited. We vacation together. We, you know... I think at the end of the day, musically, that'd be, that's fine and dandy. But to me, I enjoy our relationship, you know, outside of Oh, that's great. So you're still friends with Kelly and with Beyonce? Like you guys still talk all the time? Yes. Hmm. Because you always wonder how that goes, right? Did you see the Friends reunion earlier in 2021? I did. I did. And those guys had never been in a room together, all six of them, except maybe one. Oh, see, that's weird. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, because you always wonder how that's going to how that's going to go. Right. Like, does a band break up like the Beatles were not friends after the Beatles broke up? So what what kept what made what factored in your decision not to continue as Destiny's Child? And then second part of that question, why are you still friends? I think originally original members of Destiny's Child have been doing it since they were like nine and ten years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then you kind of like, OK, we want to do other things. And, you know, as far as why we're still friends now, because we enjoy each other. We enjoyed singing mm. together. We enjoy just regular company and downtime. We, I think also the foundation of respect never left. The, mm. the, the respect. When you respect each other, when I respect you, you respect me. You'll have, you'll have access. Hmm. Hmm. You get anything well, you need from me. that's simple and it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you you hit a wall and that's about, you know, your new book, Checking In, sort of tells your story about getting real about depression. Yes, sir. Um, you went through a very, very dark time where you actually had a plan, I believe, to end your life. Yes, sir. Do you want to talk about how you hit that wall, Michelle? Yeah. Because so many leaders have been there, especially in the last year Ooh. and a half, two years. It's just been brutal. It's been brutal. Feeling so hopeless, feeling even shame for even having the thoughts, feeling like it's going to be best if I just leave here. And I was literally having conversations with God, like, God, I've lived a great life. You've allowed me to live a great life. What more am I going to do here? Hmm. And so that's what made me even so comfortable with thoughts of suicide because I'm thinking I've lived a great life. What more am I going to do? And it's like, there is still work yet to be done. And I think through this book and the interviews that I do, it's like my purpose is cemented daily. Like this is what you're supposed to do. This is the path that you're on. This is your assignment right now. And so when I wake up in the morning, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about what I do. I'm pa- I'm so passionate. I'm sitting here with you on vacation because this is what I love to do. It's helping people, inspiring, empowering, telling people like, hey, this is what happened to me. I want to give you language for what you might be feeling, language for how you used to feel, language for how a loved one might be feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So what led to that? What led to that moment? Was it a slow unraveling that brought you to the point of feeling suicidal? 
In 2018, those symptoms of depression started in January of 2018. So by the time my hospitalization was in July, in January, and I was like, well, you can't do this. You're in rehearsals for Coachella. A few months after I got engaged, I it's like you've got too much. Once again, you got all this good stuff going on. Let that be a healing balm for what you're going through. But it got to a place to where I couldn't get out that pit. I had sunk so deep. So I should have told somebody. One of the three pillars of my book is checking in with others, checking in with myself, checking in with God. I didn't, I wasn't checking in with myself enough to be like, hey, you are struggling. I wasn't checking in with others to trust others enough to tell them as well. And by that time, I didn't check in with God because I was like, he's ashamed of me. You know, all of a sudden, now you want to come to me for help, <laughs> you, you know, and God, God doesn't have those thoughts towards us. So you experienced depression when you were in the seventh grade. You had yeah. it in the second year on the road with Destiny's Child. Oh, I it had an episode in at, college as well. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, how it that was up. another. This is, I, I, almost, I almost slept through a whole semester, and wow. doctors had to assess me. And fear, we thought they thought it was low iron. Okay. They thought it was low iron. They was like, she's sleeping all the time. They did blood work and it showed, it did show um, a deficiency. Hmm. So it was doctor's notes that kept me in school. Like, so I didn't flunk out. And then did it show up after that second year on the road or did it just kind of surprise you Um, in 2017, 2018? It showed up after Destiny's Child ended. But once again, depression can be situational. When you're experiencing right. a loss of any magnitude and you don't know how to process or handle it, by the way, sadness is a natural human response to having to transition from what you once knew. So it's understandable to be sad. But I, I, so I don't know if I would call that. Yeah, I guess that was, that was some depression. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe again in like 2012. So from 20, so 2005 and then again in like 2012, the real severe version of it. Yeah. So it's episodic, which is the experience of a lot of leaders. You know, I just, I just Googled this. It's one of my favorite John Mayer songs. Uh, You know, something's missing. missing. He says, when autumn comes, it doesn't ask. It just walks in where it left you last. You never know when it starts. Yeah. Until there's fog around the glass inside your summer heart. That's such a great lyric that got wow, me through period, my that is period good. of depression. Isn't that a great? That he's is a good. brilliant lyricist, John. Yeah. Mayer. And, you know, I found that at the, the times where it has impacted me. You think you're doing great. And then it's like you got hit from behind or you got hit from the side. Yeah. Right. And you're like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, 2018 was the worst year I would take it of your life. Yeah. Walk, walk listeners through what that was like, how you got through it, and um, what they can do if they find themselves in a similar season. I think for me, you know, in the first chapters of my book, it's like you're literally swimming in a sea of darkness with nothing to hold on to. You're out there by yourself. 
are you going to get back to shore or are you just going to literally surrender to the darkness and literally let it take you away? And um, so I'll say that. Um, And then having to get on the phone and tell my therapist, hey, I need some serious help. This is beyond counseling. I need help. Um, So we got on the phone and looked at some treatment facilities and I checked myself in. Mm. You know, so that was... What, What made you reach out for help? You said what? What made you reach out for help? Because I was too, like I said, I was too comfortable with the thoughts of suicide. Mm. I was way, I was like, so me calling for help let me know that that's not how I wanted it to end. But I was sure comfortable thinking it, planning it, planning my funeral. Like, I want white orchids. By the way, 80 years from now, I still want white orchids. Okay. (laughs) But 80 years from now. 80 years from now, I'll be 120. So, okay, that's a good age. Yeah, I, I, I think you're fine to go then, Michelle. I think you're, but you're getting close. You definitely, listen, when someone is like 98 that's passed away, what do people say? Oh, they lived, a a, they lived a, oh, such a great life. <laughs> if you make it to 122, you'll make the headlines. That'll be great. Like, come on. Or, or we'll have, Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that's, people have thought about that. Like in my suicidal period, I thought about how I would do it, which was really bizarre. I look back on that now and I'm like, was that even me? It was definitely me. But what, what were your thoughts full of in that suicidal season? Like you said, you got um, four kids at your funeral. How, who would show up to the funeral and they say, some people say that suicide is a selfish act. But I think leaving behind instructions after you've died by suicide can be, I can imagine that being hurtful to people that have to say, well, this is what she wants. I, ooh, I, I try to process that. It's different when you've died. Like my father passed away in December. I was able Mm, to help plan his funeral with so much pride, so much actual joy because he was ill for so long. So that's different. Totally different. Versus how I wanted to leave here and then tell you, make sure I got white orchids. Hmm. I would have, I would be mad at my brother and I would be, I would be so mad at him in the cast, looking at him in the casket like really and you wanted us to get you roses what oh i'd be so mad the reason why i'd be mad is because i would have wanted there are people who have died by suicide and you're like i just wanted to have a bullhorn to just say hold on please no don't don't at the same time i know the mindset I know the mindset of per, of a person in that state. You're obviously not thinking about holding on. You know? How did you move through that, Michelle? How did you move it through that? It was faith. It literally was the only thing I had to stand on. Was faith and I think God making that decision because, you know, prior to that, you know, there there was an attempt. 
And God was like, no. 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 For me. You know? And we know that there are others who who have been successful. You know? Looking back on that, what would you tell yourself now? Hold on. Hope. There is hope. It sounds so like, oh my gosh, it's those two words. I'll never forget when somebody's like, Michelle, you know Jesus really loves you. And I was like, whatever. Like, no, you know, like he really does. Like, I would tell somebody, it really does get better. It takes the process. It takes some work. Because some of us have, you're choosing life daily. You're choosing happiness daily versus other responses. Do I choose to get up out the bed or just lay there depressed? What does life feel like today for you? Because I would tell myself a similar thing. It gets so much better. It, it gets so much better. But I, I wouldn't have believed it. back like, okay, Lord, I understand. You take people through things. Purpose is birthed out of pain. Or pain can propel you into purpose. You know all those churchy-isms that we say <laughs> to make us feel better yeah, about do. our past. We do. Okay. Now, there is some truth to, to those statements. But I look back like, are you serious? God was always with you, always with you, always with you, even through your moments of pity parties, moments of just pure despair, you know, all your lamenting and stuff. And God was just like, I'm, I got you. So right now I'm in a state of joy, just gratitude on a million you know, for being able to tell the story and to hopefully be that hand that can can muscle somebody else through what they're going through. Are there any rhythms, patterns, or habits that have helped you stay healthy over the last few years? Well, definitely those three pillars, Anyways, checking you, in with yeah. myself, checking in with yeah. others, checking in with God. A minimum, I'm checking in with myself at least three times a day. When I wake up in the morning. What does that look like? When I wake up in the morning, you know, you're feeling, you're okay, you're good. Prayer. Um, my praise and worship music. Checking in with others, possibly. I mean, I live alone right now, but, you know, but but checking in with God. I don't play about those three pillars. In my day, I wake up in the morning, I make my cup of coffee. I, oh, I first wake up, I make my bed. Because when you make up your bed, you're not going to get back in it. It's too pretty. <laughs> I like my 80 pillows. So I get yeah. up. I make my coffee. I put my favorite song on in the morning. It's like this 15-minute gospel blaring praise and worship song. It's like amazing. Mm. And if my neighbors hate it, you're going to get some Jesus every morning. <laughs> so I do it Every morning I have to, even while I'm away, I have, I keep my routine. I keep my routine, my making up my bed, um, my coffee in the morning, my devotion, 
And that's how I choose to start my day. It is a routine. It is habit now. It's kind of like I do need to kind of find another song to play in the morning, but it's I love it. <laughs> hey, if it's working for you, right? Yeah, it you don't works have to mess with me. that. You know, because there was a time where I couldn't get out the bed for weeks at a time. So I remember using that process of, okay, what if you get out the bed, go brush your teeth, even if you have to get back in the bed? Okay, so get up in the morning, brush your teeth, take a few more steps. There's the shower. You might want to take a shower, even if you have to get back in the bed. At least you get back in the bed smelling like Irish Spring. Because depression makes you stink. Okay. Depression will make you stink because you don't want to wash up. You don't want to do anything. So then it was like from there to, okay, I can get up now, brush my teeth, shower. Okay, let me go make some oatmeal. Let me go make some coffee. Stay in the living room. Do not go back in that bedroom. That's why I make my bed every morning. Even though I'm not a morning person. I'd rather be in the bed all day doing absolutely nothing, even not depressed. Like I, mm. that's, that's just what I like to, that's what I do. I like to rest. But so I found, I give people those practical steps. Like when you wake up in the morning, don't think about what you got to do at 8 PM. What can you do right now? And stick to people say a, Oh, just take it a day at a time. No, some people can only take it a second at a time. Mm. A minute at a time. So I just encourage people to take those baby steps. And before you know it, you're going throughout your day being productive. Oh, you know, that's so interesting because that sounds fundamental or too basic. But I've talked to psychiatrists and medical doctors who are friends and I've asked them, what is the prescription for someone who is like clinically depressed and can't get out of bed? And they would say exactly what you said. Then you get up and you brush your teeth. And even if you can't brush your teeth, just hold the toothbrush. And then, you know, it's okay. to. And the next day you brush your teeth. And the next day you get in the shower for 30 seconds. Yeah. And the next day, like exactly what you said, mm-hmm. which is super encouraging. And I found, I found that even in my own season and I wasn't bedridden by well, any stretch, I, you know but it's like, that since keep showing you, it's up. so funny that no, you talk who? about other psychiatrists. My uncle, who was a yeah. physician, told me that. He said, can you just get really? up and eat some oatmeal at least? Because I don't need to miss a meal. Now, mm, I, I yeah. lose weight yeah. really quickly. And I don't mean that from a vain cosmetic it's just right now, that's how I'm made up right now. So That's he, your metabolism. My metabolism. Yep. My literally. wife's the same way. Yeah. So he said, at least just try to get some oatmeal in you. And if you got to get back in the bed. And I was glad he gave me permission to get back in the bed. Mm. Because some people make you feel like, just take on the world. No, I couldn't. <laughs> so I used that instruction he gave me. And like you said, I built on it when I could. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, any final word, Michelle, for leaders who face mm. a, a version of the same pressures you do? They're in public every day. Like, what would you tell? What would you tell yourself twenty years ago? What would you tell yourself? Twenty years ago, boundaries and relationships that are kind of reciprocal. Not that you're performing. Not that you're like, well, if I give you this, this, because you're going to give me that. 
It's just mm. some people can't handle relationships that aren't balanced. Until you get to a place where you can read a person and say, okay, that's just who they are and make adjustments. Because leaders, I think leaders also don't have a lot of friends. So you make friends with people that you're supposed to be leading or they're just supposed to serve the ministry, but you're trying to hang out with them. Uh-huh. And then when something happens and they leave the ministry to maybe because they're moving, you're distraught. Yep. Well, and you would have had that. Like everybody either wants something from you or they want to be with you or you're like, do they really like me because I'm Michelle? Or do they like me because I'm famous or Destiny's Child or because I'm friends with, you know? Uh, how do you navigate that? That is a very, you know I'm so what? glad you went there. Somehow I can sniff that a mile away. I can sniff it. Really? I how do you do that? How do you it? sniff it? I don't know. I just can't, especially, are you asking too many questions about what I do or the people around me? What is it like? What You're not interested in me. You're not interested that I just like French vanilla creamer in my coffee in the morning. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my life, my friends that I'm associated with. You really are in tune to me. And God has brought some people in my life who they rock with me. You know, I'm able to be friends with the person at Dunkin' Donuts and the greatest entertainer of our time right now. I don't care who you are, what you have, because you have a soul who needs the love of Christ at the end of the day. You strip all that away from people. We're all we're all souls at the end of the day. But I can tell if some so I don't allow I don't allow that in my space. You know, I've learned to have boundaries. What's the book by um, Dr. Oh, Henry, Henry Cloud? Cloud, John Townsend. Yeah, Safe boundaries. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. that book hit me like a ton of bricks because it. I have to be a safe person too. It's not just, mm. or, or, it's not just make sure you have safe people. No, it's make sure you're a safe person too. And that you're not How defiling. do you stay grounded like that? How do I there stay are sometimes, grounded? Yeah, yeah. Like there are sometimes artists, celebrities, leaders who get intoxicated with their own success. It sounds like you haven't. No, my type of friends that I choose to have. I think my family all those years and living, I didn't move from the Midwest until 2017. Mm. I still live. Then I moved about 30 minutes outside of my hometown in this small village. And it's just that that sensibility, you know. When I'm home, I still have to go pick up nieces and nephews from daycare. I had to still have to go get cornbread mix if my mama ran out of cornbread mix and she wanted cornbread. You know, I'm still close with my family. My my mother had eight brothers and sisters. I'm still close with every one of them. I think to me that helps. You know, of, of staying, if you can, because some family members change, you know, when you get successful. it Some people, not that you change, they change. So you almost, you almost find yourself having to have boundaries with even blood, family, you know. But for the most part, um, I have an outstanding family. 
You sound like the kind of friend most people are looking wow. for. Wow. Yeah. I pray That's I pray Michelle. so. Yeah. <laughs> and people some there's someone that I'm friends with now. We just kind of became friends within the past year and a half and they're very successful in what they do. And they they're like, "Wait a minute, what's the catch? What are you going to ask me for?" And I'm like, the only thing I'm going to ask you is how you're doing. Some people literally cannot believe that you actually like them for who they are. And you, you're just trying to get to know what makes them tick and what makes them so special and unique. And some people really do like you for who you are. There are those out there that really, really do. And it's trusting that they do and just trusting that God is still can answer your prayer by saying, Lord, I need, I just need people that I can literally take my hair down with. Even men that are bald. Just somebody you can take your hair off. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I, I get it. I get it. I, I really do. Well. Michelle, this has been a joy. Your book is called Checking In, How to Get Real About Depression, uh, How Getting Real About Depression Saved My Life. Let me get that right and can save yours. Correct. Um, are you on social these days? Where can people find oh, you? Oh, cool. I'm on Instagram. I'm at Michelle Williams. Facebook, facebook.com, Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Twitter is Real Michelle W. And I do have a newsletter called Checking In with Michelle. So it's checkinginwithmichelle.com. Awesome. Michelle, this has been a joy, a real a delight. Thanks for taking time from your vacation to be with our No worries, today. Carrie. I, I really told you this is what it. I love to do. This part of my <laughs> life, I'm here for it. So I'm excited. So thank you for um, uh, talking with me today and having me share on your platform. It's a joy. Thanks, Michelle. Yes, sir. Thanks, Carrie. I love how her and Beyonce have stayed friends and I love how grounded that feels. I mean, that's got to be just insane to have that kind of a rocket ride. Michelle, thank you so much for being so transparent about all the permutations of success. And if you've had even a little bit of success, like I've had a tiny bit in my life, nothing compared to, you know, Beyonce or Destiny's Child. But yeah, you realize pretty quickly how empty it can be in my next to last book, Didn't See It Coming. The final section of the book is on emptiness and what happens when you succeed and it doesn't fulfill that need. It's funny, I don't get a lot of comments on that part of the book, uh, but it's probably my favorite part of the book. Everybody talks about burnout and cynicism and covered that and didn't see it coming as well. Well, if you want show notes or you want to go a little bit deeper, head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 459. We'll have everything for you there, including transcripts if you're more of a reader. We're also uh, generally on YouTube these days too. We've got uh, a little growing following over on YouTube, so you can head over there, just search my name or a guest you want to hear, and you will find it inside YouTube. And next episode, we've got Ken Coleman coming up. Things have changed dramatically in the world of work, and Ken talks about the why of the great resignation. Why is it happening? How the balance of power has shifted from employer to employee, and how to build a dream career. Here is an excerpt. Way deeper than the great resignation. I think it's the great declaration. I think it is the great migration. What's happening is when you have a global pandemic that forces change, to levels that we have never been forced, not in our modern experience, those of us that are alive today, 
even 9-11 didn't, 9-11 shocked us, but the pandemic and COVID-19 forced us into change. So you'll get that uh, automatically if you subscribe to the podcast. Also coming up, we've got Katie Cole, uh, Ian Morgan Cron, Nikki Gumbel, Donald Miller, Dave Hollis, Jenny Allen, Craig Rochelle, Bobby Grunwald, and so many others. I'm really excited about our 2022 lineup. And I uh, want to thank our partners for this episode. Thank you for Promedia Fire. If you haven't checked out their free digital strategy session, what are you waiting for? Go to promediafire.com slash carry. And by Red Letter Challenge, you can get uh, your 40-day turnkey challenge today and get 10 to 40% off. And why not kick off the year with it? That's a great way and then <laughs> to do it. And then something finally is done for you. It's been a long time since that happened. Go to redletterchallenge.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to pick up more. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I love doing it. Thank you for the ratings and reviews. And if you want to head on over to the interweb side of things, I've got uh, a website which attracts millions of leaders a year. It's kerrynewhoff.com. I write fresh content on there all the time. I see this podcast as kind of my opportunity to not necessarily share my views, but really uh, feature guests. And then uh, I share some thoughts on a regular basis over at kerrynewhoff.com. It's also home to the podcast, the courses that I do. And we send a nearly daily email, little leadership nugget to over 85,000 leaders. And you can sign up for that as well over there. So thank you so much for listening. I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.